0: All right, well, we are in First Peter, most of you know, and so if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of First Peter. We are in chapter 1. If you need to borrow a Bible, we'd love to loan you one. You can raise your hand real high, and Jaime will let you borrow a Bible so you can follow with us. First Peter chapter 1, we're looking at verses 22 through 25. We'll finish out the first chapter this morning. I entitled our message "Sincere Love and Living the Scriptures." Sincere love and living the Scriptures. Again, First Peter chapter one, verses 22 through 25. All right, so everyone tabbed, turned, uh, got got yourself there? All right, would you stand with me, real quick, and we'll <coughs> read these verses, or I'll read these verses aloud, and you can follow along in your Bible. Peter writes, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because... And Peter will quote the Old Testament, Isaiah specifically All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And Peter will then say or write Now this is the word by which, excuse me, the word which by the gospel was preached to you. He has another conclusion, but we're going to pause there for our time. All right, let's pray. (coughs) Lord, we thank you for our time this morning to be able to come into your house, this place that you've provided. Lord, thank you for the, the giftings, the worship team, Nicole and others, Norma and Elizabeth, and. Just our, 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 our crew here, Lord, just so faithful to serve you in so many ways. And Lord, we're, we're blessed as the body continues to grow and change as people come and people go. Uh, Lord, we, we simply pray you would stir in our hearts to raise up the labors. The harvest is plentiful. Uh, but Lord, oftentimes the, the volunteer crew and the labors are few. Lord, we thank you for our time as we open your word, that by your spirit you would speak, that you would lead, you would guide us. Father, we thank you that you keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you. And Lord, we want to trust in you. And so may you experience your peace. May we hear your voice. We commit our time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Take a moment. Say hello to somebody. Greet a neighbor. Introduce yourself to somebody new. If you've been journeying with us or you're familiar with the book of 1 Peter, in the opening of his letter, Peter told us describes us as followers of Jesus Christ that we are and he likened us to pilgrims. We are exiles, we're sojourners, we're we're passing through. And that the reality of our life in Christ that we are uh, citizens of heaven, but we are temporary residents here on planet Earth, and, and our lives, as our series title is, it's it's a sojourn, right? it's a trek, it's a journey, and, and we are journeying towards our true home, uh, which is in heaven. And what Peter has been writing for his original audience, and as we read today and glean for ourselves, is that that as we travel through this life, as we sojourn, as we're making this trek, uh, we will experience some high highs and some low lows. That there's going to be times in your life and mine that are going going to be uh, times that lift us up high, and there's going to be some times and days and seasons that will Uh, seemingly pound us down low. Uh, Peter reminded us, though, that we are God's kids, and and as God's kids, God has tremendous blessings for us. Um, But as God's kids, it doesn't make us exempt from trials and troubles, from stresses and sufferings. There's going to be some rough roads. There's going to be some hard hits that we go through. But as we, as we walk through this life, what Peter also will tell us is we, we're not left without a compass, without a roadmap to, to guide us on this trek, to lead us through this journey. The Lord has given us, God in his grace has given us three vital supports uh, more than three, but at least in this passage, I want to note three of those very important things that God has provided for us. The first is that God has given us His Holy Spirit. The second is that God has given us His Scriptures, the Word of God which endures forever. And thirdly, God has given us, well, uh, each other, <laughs> that we are in relationship and fellowship. We, we are put in this thing called the church, and God has given us these three things, and, and we need all of them, by the way, in order for you and I to uh, enjoy, uh, I'd even add endure, <laughs> uh, and excel in, in this, this expedition that we are in on this side of heaven. And, and it's a terrible shame that there are so many people who go through their life trying to figure it out by themselves, that they have no sense of direction, they have no sense of purpose, and, and so they just grab at anything, and, and they think, and, and I used to be one of them, maybe you did too, right, that we, well, we just have to figure it out by ourselves, The captain, my own ship, I got to figure this thing out, it's just me, myself, and I, and I don't need anybody else, and I'm going to just, you know, do it my way. And yet God and his grace is so good. He's provided us, if you will, uh, the owner manual, right? The owner manual of life. Uh, It's a spiritual field guide. And, And it's here in the Bible. It's here in the scriptures that we then discover God's love and God's purposes and God's plan. God's creation. Discover God's love and his grace. And the offer of redemption, forgiveness and new life and the, and the paths that we should take. And so it, it's, it's a terrible shame that there are those who just unaware. But, I, but I'd add to that. Of course, a little of my opinion, so I uh, recognize that. I think sadder still, there are many Christians, people who claim to know the Lord, who, who know the Lord and love the Lord, and, and yet they they too, though, having known the Lord, try to power through life and, and unaware or maybe partially aware or, or ignorant of, of the wonder of God's word, the depth of God's word, the richness of God's word, the scriptures. They, they've only barely scratched the surface. They're just, you know, in the, the kiddie pool of God's word. Or they don't know the power of God's spirit. to experience that personally, victorious Christian living, the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. And then there are those who just, in a similar way, they don't really realize the richness of, of fellowship, of authentic, genuine, life-sharing, life-giving relationships you know, where you get to the nitty-gritty and have people who know you and love you anyways and you've invited into your space that will challenge you and spur you and, you know, and, and they know the real you and those that just, just play it safe. And so, church family, my, my prayer for us this morning is that we will come to see the tremendous value that God and his love for you and for me has given us, he's provided these things, uh, and that we would make them a greater priority today. So I draw your attention back to verse 22 as we uh, have picked up where we've left off. He says, or writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. That is a long sentence that uh, he's, you know, we read there let me just break it apart a little bit. The Beginning part of that is, is since you have purified or because you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit. Now, Peter is going to lead us to a point of application, which is then, you know, love, therefore love one another, right? That That's an imperative. He's going to direct us to those things. But before he gets us, before he brings us to Uh, the direction he's going to give us a description, right? He's going to make an assertion of something that that should be true of you and for me. If we, again, if we name the name of Jesus Christ, because this is true of you and me inwardly, what's true of us inside, then this should be, the following then should be what's true of you uh, outwardly on the outside. And so the question is, well, what's, what's true of us on the inside? What's true of us inwardly then? Here's what Peter says. Your souls have been purified. Now, I know how to wash my uh, ever-thinning hair, and, uh, and I know how to wash my clothes, right? My, my new Calvary um, Okinawa hoodie. Uh, but but how, how do you wash your heart? How does a person cleanse their soul? Like what, what does that look like? Like, what detergent do we need to use for that, right? See, the Bible reveals to us first the reality that, that well, by default, we're dirty. There's a dirtiness of our heart. There's a dirtiness of our soul. The Bible uses the term unrighteous or unclean. And uncleanness and unrighteousness primarily is an inward issue. It's not so much an outward issue. It's primarily a heart issue. And it's our inward sinful attribute, right, that we're born with a sinful nature, our attribute of sin that makes us have then produces sinful acts. I sin because I'm a sinner because it's my nature. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And he poses this question, who, who can understand that? How do we fix that, essentially what he's saying? Jesus would say, it's those things that proceed out of the mouth that come out from your heart. That's what defiles a person. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witness, blasphemy. These are the things which defile a person, Matthew 15, 18 through 19, right? It, it, it's a heart issue. And as we, we sing that song, what can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? We sing the answer, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Christ that washes us. It's the fact that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life for you and for me, then died on a cross for your sins and mine as he gave his life and his blood. Of course, three days later, as the scripture says, he rose again to prove who he claimed to be, that he was God in the flesh. The Bible says it's not by the blood of bulls and rams and sacrifices. It's not by our works. It's because of God's grace and God's love for you. It's because of Jesus Christ. That's what washes us clean. That's how our, our souls have been purified. John writes in 1 John 1 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so we are, we are made purified. We are made clean by the blood of Christ and we are kept clean then by the same. Because later on in 1 John from 1.7, we read 1 John 1.9. And if you've been around for a while, you've heard me say, that's our spiritual soap. That's the detergent that we use as Christians. Right? If we confess our sins, then God is faithful and God is just. And I think I can amplify a little. God is good and God is love. And God is kind. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1.9. But it's interesting the way that Peter phrases it. He says, since we have purified our souls in obeying the truth. It almost seems like, well, that's something that we've done versus something that's been done to us or for us. But remember. Again, our obedience, as we obey the truth, our obedience is not the basis of our justification. It's not the, the foundation of it. It's not a cause and effect, well, we obey, so therefore now we're clean. No, we're, we're, we're clean because of Christ. The, the sacrifice of Jesus and his, of giving of his life, that's the foundation, where, are, where does our obedience fit into that? Where our obedience isn't the foundation, it's the fruit. It's the product of that trust. It's the product of, of that relationship. You know, it's been said that true faith is obeying faith. And, and we talked a lot about the nature and the motive of our obedience. And if you're like, I, I wasn't here, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> we do have our podcasts and our, uh, you know, podcasts. Um, recordings of, the, of our live stream. We talked about how obedience for us, it, it flows from love. Even the fact that we love God is because he first loved us, and we then reciprocate that. We, we love Jesus so much, and so we obey him. The Lord says, if you love me, then you will obey me, and those two things go hand in hand. In some Bibles, the phrase through the Spirit is included, and other translations, depending on what version you might have, it, it's not there, that, that little phrase. And that, that kind of talks about different transcripts and manuscripts and, and um, those things, and we perhaps need to have that kind of conversation later on. But let me, let me just say it, it's safe to conclude, whether you have that in your uh, version or not, that Peter has already established that it's God's spirit who works in us. He's already established that it's God's spirit who leads us towards purity. It's God's spirit who is the agent of change in our life that brings us to obedience. Remember back in his opening in verse two, in fact, he he says it's, it's in sanctification of the spirit. And so that's what the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead is doing in our lives. We've been saved, we're justified, but now we're being sanctified. And the Spirit is sanctifying us and, and cleansing us and washing us. And later on in verse 12, he, he talked about how it was the Spirit then was that was revealing uh, God's rescue plan to the prophets ahead of time. They didn't fully have the entire picture. They just had a preview of coming attractions. How great that we then can look back and realize like, oh, all of that was for us. And he says it was revealed by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And so the Holy Spirit is a vital part of our journey and our success and our victory and our enjoyment and our endurance as sojourners. And so we'll just simply write it this way if you're a note taker. Number one, God gives you his Holy Spirit, the gift of his Holy Spirit, to lead and guide And empower us in our lives. And so Peter is reminding us how we have been purified. And our obedience then is something the Spirit then working in us causes as fruit in our lives. It's by His Spirit that we do this. Through the Spirit that we do this. Jesus told His disciples in John chapters, really from 14 through 17. And I encourage you to read that. Make, make a note and, and read, not right now, because I'm going to s- keep talking, but later. And, and you'll see how if you have a red-letter Bible, a lot of it's just red-letter. It's Jesus speaking. And, and the summary of those chapters is that he is letting the disciples know that he's taken off. And they didn't fully, it didn't fully click with them. I mean, he has said it several times. I I, I have to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be uh, suffered. The Son of Man is going to be crucified and killed. And and in these chapters, he's telling them, listen, listen, guys, I'm going, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not bailing on you completely. Though you see me now and we get to hang out, this is my paraphrase, He says, I'm I'm praying to the Father, and he's going to send the Holy Spirit, another helper, the Paracletus, one who's called alongside of same kind. And and he'll say, you know, the, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will come and he will lead you and guide you. He will comfort you. He will be with you. He's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and a judgment to come, but he will be with you, and he will remind you of all the things that I've told you, and it'll be then his role to take residence inside of you and to continue this journey. It's the Spirit, then, that teaches us and convicts us and comforts us and empowers us and transforms us, that the spirit of God does all of these things in our lives, enables us to do the things that God has called us to do for those works that God has prepared beforehand, we're told in Ephesians. The spirit of God is our guarantee. Another Bible says he, he is the seal of our redemption. He is the seal of our inheritance, and he's our guide. And as such, God the Spirit then speaks, and God the Spirit spurs, and he leads us and guides us and convicts us. Our response then is to be obedient to him, to yield ourselves to his leading. Because, you know, the Bible says that we can actually resist the Holy Spirit. We can quench the spirit. We can grieve the spirit. And we do those things when we choose to disobey. When God prompts us to go one direction, we're like, nah, I think I'm gonna go this instead. I know what your word says, but I think I'm gonna do this instead. The spirit convicts us, and we're like, ah, tomorrow. Like we, we can grieve the spirit, we can resist the spirit. And so one of the questions I think we can ask ourselves in regards to, since we have been purified for obeying the Lord in truth through the Spirit, the question then is, how much of God's Spirit have we surrendered to Him, to the work and the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? What areas in your, remember, it's a, it's a heart work primarily, right? What areas in your heart have you withheld from fully yielding to what God wants to do in your life and through your life and with your life? I, I wonder, I wonder if some of us aren't experiencing the victory or the joy Or the power that God has available for us because we're trying to do things on our own strength. Or that we have limited ourselves to the joy and the victory and and experience success and overcoming sin because, well, we're, we're entertaining sin. We're hiding it. We're dabbling with it. We're playing with it. And at the same time, we're expecting God to, to pour out his blessings. Well, God is gracious. But God is good. and God loves us. And so there's times where God will convict us, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's times where God in his love will spank us. And so here's what, I, I, here's what God would say. In our obedience to the Spirit through love, purify our hearts today by confessing our sins, by repenting, by being obedient to the Spirit and to do what God's calling you to do. And as believers, for some of us, it's, well, we need to apply 1 John 1.9. Confess our sins. Use our spiritual soap. If you don't know the Lord today, today can be the day that you come to know the Lord. And it's 1 John 1.7 for you. To know that you are redeemed and purified because of what Christ has done. Because of God's love for you. He goes on to say, in sincere love of the brethren. We obey the spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. So he he starts with an assertion, because this is true of us internally, that we've been purified, we're saved, we're we're the children of God. Since that's true, well, what, what should then be true outwardly? We should have love for one another. The fruit of the Spirit will manifest in obedience, and it will manifest in love. Paul, writing to the Galatian church, tells us in Galatians 5.22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And Peter says again, since this is true of your life, that you have been saved, That God calls you his kids, that you are elect of the Lord. Since that's true, here's what should also be true there should be love coming out of you. There should be external evidence of the inner work of God's Spirit. Love should be the fruit. And specifically, notice love for one another, love of the brethren. John writes, That this is one of the supreme marks of our true conversion of Christ in our lives. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That, That terms mean brother. It means family in Christ. And he who doesn't love then his family abides in death. Peter uses two important descriptors, that, descriptors that, should dis, that, that characterize our love. Notice he says it's sincere. That there should be insincere love of the family, the ohana, the familia, the brethren. Sincere love. Sincere love means genuine, it means authentic, it's not fake, it's not plastic, it's not phony. We live in a culture and a world where the world around us is great at fake love. Promoting it, selling it, and sometimes we buy it. And the world's brand of love is insincere. It's selfish. It's me first. It just uses us and spits us out. It's a brand of counterfeit love. And often it's it's sensual. It appeals to our flesh and our sin, and it's superficial. But Peter says that we, we, we should have a sincere love, a genuine love, a real love. Not fake, not phony, not plastic, not feigned. And this word sincere in the English it comes from a Latin word. And the Latin word is kind of a compound word, uh, sinisera. And some have suggested that it it means without wax. And the theory is, you know, it's like, when I was looking it up, it's hard to establish. So I'll just leave it as, perhaps it's even church urban legend. So I'll just leave it as theory, but it's interesting. And the idea of that word, though, without wax means, it comes from that the sculptors and artisans, you know, back in the old days, I guess they even do it today, when they're working. On their craft, it's stone or it's marble. I think even applies to woodworking. As they're working away and, and making their, their sculptures, especially if you're working with stone or with marble, like if you, if you hit that thing wrong and you chip away, like, oh, man, that's done, right? It's, there's no, like, you know, backspace and autocorrect. It's, you're like, oh, this is... And so what they would do is, you know, especially if they got so far into their project and they're so close and if they made a mistake or something happened, it cracked or it broke, they would take the marble dust or the stone dust, and I think they do it with wood today, right? They, and they mixed it with glue or they mixed it with wax. And they took that wax and they would then fill in the cracks or they would remake part of the ear or whatever it is that they're, they're working on. And so it would, from appearance, look okay. The cracks were filled in. The, you know, the imperfections were, were covered over by this mix of clay and, and the stone and these things. But, but in reality, uh, it wasn't sinissary. It wasn't sincere. It wasn't without wax. It had wax. And so, if that's true, that's a really interesting word. That God calls us to love one another without any fake or phony or just to be sincere. And honesty and genuineness. And let, me add, let me add this aspect to it, if I can. The idea here is just, just be you. Just be you. Even if there, and there is, right, imperfections, and there's cracks, and there's flaws, and there's, and some of us are more cracked than others, right? But just be true to you. You know, we, we don't have to pretend to be something that we're not. And we don't have to put on a show or put on an air. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not, and we don't have to pretend, I'll add this, we don't even have to pretend to care if you, if you don't. But I'd, but I'd say if you don't, then there, you, you really need to check your heart. Because John writes a little bit later in First John from 3.14, he writes in John 4.20, and he says, uh, let me up the ante, basically. If someone says, I love God, but they hate their brother, here's what John says. You're a liar, liar, pants on fire. Well, <laughs> he, didn't, he doesn't really say it that way, but he does say, you're a liar. That's some heavy words, right? If you say you love God, but you don't really like people, you don't you, you hate your, the church family. John says, you're, you're lying. you're just you've deceived yourself. Because <laughs> no one likes fake people, right? I, I don't believe we and here's the other thing. I don't believe we have to have to maybe delineate this a little bit carefully, right We don't have to like everyone. Because there's going to be some times where we don't click with people, right They're, they're just going to be a different a grade of sandpaper. <laughs> and, and, and there's times, where, all right, they're, they're going to rub me a little bit, and God uses that, but, right, we don't always click. And, and that's just reality. But we can still love people. We can still love them from, and sincerely, from afar, and so be sincere in our love for each other. That, that's the application. That, that's where he points us to. If this is true of us, if we name the name of Christ, if the true root of God's spirit is in us, there's going to be true fruit, and that fruit's going to manifest in love. Yes, the other descriptor he uses is love fervently. It means to be constant. It means to be unceasing. It is the First Corinthians 13 type of love. Right, that chapter that they read at weddings when you go. It's a love that bears all things and hopes all things, believes all things, trusts all things. It's a love that never fails. It's a love that forgives. It's a love that doesn't keep a record of wrong. I mean, that, that's Christ-like love. Right? And in and of ourselves, that's impossible for us to produce. That's why we have to have the Spirit in us. The Spirit produces that in us. A love that forgives and values relationship more than the thing and more than the issue. It's a love that seeks restoration. And I I like that the Bible's God is realistic, right? As much as it's possible, try to be at peace with all men. And I love that qualifier because sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes... It's a relationship, or I love you, but uh, it's not healthy for me. It's the, you know, we put them in the category that this is toxic. And so I love you, but I can't be with you. I can't, we need to have some distance here. We find Jesus doing the same thing. But here's the point. Our genuine love for others, uh, it's proof that we belong to the Lord. Oh, did I give you point number two? God gives us the gift of loving community to help us to succeed. I don't think I said that. We have a gift. We have the gift of the Spirit, and we have the gift of us to view each other as a gift. Our relationships and our family-ship in Christ. And in this gift of the church and this thing called the body of Christ— Uh, God calls us to love each other in sincerity in that, not fake. And God also says, listen, when we love each other, it becomes proof then that we belong to the Lord. Jesus says, a new commandment that I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so then you, here's what the word he uses, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 34 through 35 in the second century, as Christianity was spreading throughout the Roman Empire, there are these uh, rumors and accusations and misunderstandings about the, you know, the Christian church and Christians as a whole. And so history says there's a church leader by the name of uh, Tertullian from North Africa. And so he writes this defense uh, to explain uh, Christian fellowship and and Christian interaction. And, And so he writes, and he basically kind of takes the lens of the, uh, of the non-believers, the pagans, looking at the interaction of the church, and he writes this kind of famous phrase. Maybe you've heard it. He says, look how they love one another. Mm-hmm. And so we're to love, and it becomes proof that we belong to the Lord because our, our own litmus test. Am I, am I walking with the Lord? Am I in Christ? How do I know? Well, do I love people? Do I, do I love the people that God's placed me in, this family that we're placed in? And then thirdly, notice he says we're to love one another fervently, and he adds this uh, qualifier, with a pure heart. With a pure heart. And there's different ways to interpret that, but I, I take the lens up. God calls us to sincerely love and, and continue in love fervently continually, and constantly, but it's morally pure. It's appropriate. Many, many years ago, there was a young Marine who was part of our church, and a great guy, and God was doing a work in his life, uh, and he came up from, actually down from Kinzer, and it was during the time where his command told him he needed to bring a fire team, uh, three others, and so he would just go through his dorms and drag out whoever he could. <laughs> so sometimes the guys would be uh, sitting in the front. You could tell they had a rough night. They'd be like, you know. And, but there he was. His name was Nehemiah. In fact, that's why we named our own kid Nehemiah, not even after the Bible Nehemiah, but just this young man who made such an impression on us. But they'd sit front row, and, uh, and he'd make those, he'd make his fellow Marines sit up, you know. And, uh, but often he'd come with this, uh, this uh, female Marine and she was a believer, too. And interesting enough, her name was Rebecca. Um, uh, but we, we, well, anyways, anyways. So very lovely gal, loves the Lord. She was really pretty. And, uh, and so one day, uh, so they've been coming for a while. One day, Nehemiah says, hey, Pastor, can we meet up? I, I need to talk with you. And I said, sure. And so we, we go to coffee, and we sit down, and he begins, to, he, he begins to share with me that he's struggling with this area of his walk. And so then I thought in my mind, okay, uh, he's a young man, uh, I'm going to love on him, encourage him to purity and, and honor God and his thoughts and his actions and, you know, have, have healthy boundaries and these things. And so he continued and, and he said, well, because uh, Rebecca and I hang out, there's these, and I'm going to paraphrase him, there's these fools who, who think that I'm just coming to church and playing church so that I can, you know, be with her and, and." try to date her, and, and he says, but that's not true at all. It's like, I love the Lord, and she loves the Lord, and I view her as my sister, and, and I, and I, I, you know, I want to honor her. I said, OK, well, then, then what's the area of your walk that you're struggling in? He says, why well, struggle? Because the guys that are making these comments to me make me so mad, and I want to break them in half like little twigs, because <laughs> he was kind of this big, big dude. Like, he was like Chris's size. <laughs> He's like, they're these tiny little scrawny guys, and I could just break them, like, you know. Uh. He's like, so I struggle because I want to beat them up. <laughs> like, like I was not expecting that. <laughs> the world doesn't understand having a, a morally pure love as Christians for one another. That That he could view this you know, attractive young lady who loves the Lord and, and have the lens of like, that's my sister. But the world, the world always, you know, the world just thinks differently. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and, and that's how God wants us to love one another. Right? With a pure heart, there's a, there's a sanctified boundary line of appropriateness in the way that we love each other, interact with each other. And it is to love each other like, like family. That's the idea. Healthy, appropriate, moral, uh, family relationships. Because when we come into a relationship with God, right, it's brand new. We, we come into, we become family of God. We become the kids of God. We're kids of the king. But when he brings us into that relationship, we also enter into a new relationship with each other. We, because we, come, we become brothers and sisters. In this thing called the family of God. And if you've been around for a while, you know for us at Calvary Okinawa, one of our favorite sayings, and we penned this for many, many years ago, is that families are made at the foot of the cross. I'm probably going to repeat that as we get close to Good Friday and Easter. It's that beautiful scene where Jesus, powerful scene, Jesus is on the cross and John comes, his mom comes. And one of the seven things that are recorded for us as he's dying for your sins and mine is he uh, has the heart and presence of mind to look at John and to look at his his mom and say, behold your mom, behold your son. Right, made a blended family right there at the foot of the cross. Or a family, I should say. And that's us. We've been brought into a family ship because of Jesus. And it is an important gift that God gives us. And some of us neglect that gift. No one's called to be a lone ranger in the Christian life. And the Bible clearly teaches us that you and I, we need each other in order for us to grow together in maturity. Ephesians chapter 4 says there is one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism, uh, one spirit, One, unity, and yet different gifts and different roles, different responsibilities that God has given to each of us so that together as we work, we can then equip us for the work of service, that we can build us up to edify the body of Christ so that we grow up into maturity, Christ being our head. Ephesians 4.15, that the whole body joined and knit together by what every part supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. So here's a question for us. Are, are, are we doing our share? Are we doing our part? And it causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. Now, Peter's going to bring us to the same conclusions and point. He's going to use a different analogy. He's going to talk about how we're like living stones, right? We're like living Legos, right? We're we're spiritual Minecraft being built together into a spiritual house. But you and I will stunt our growth if, if we keep to ourselves. and If we keep ourselves on the outside of fellowship and the outside of service, your faith and mine will be fragile and our, and our walk will be impotent and ineffective. Think about that. Our walk will be impotent and ineffective if you and I withdraw and we neglect from putting in our part. Because if I'm reading Ephesians 4 correctly, not only then when every part does its share, does it cause growth, but when every part doesn't do its share, then we all suffer. Some things to think about. Is there something that God has been prompting you to do, to be a part of, to contribute? A little bit of a plug, even just to think about the things that Nicole shared and some of our needs. And then lastly, and I'll I'll, I'll close us out and land this plane. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. What a great verse. And he supports that. He quotes... Old Testament basically saying the same thing. God through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, all flesh is as grass passes, right? The glory of man is the flower of the grass. Temporal. The grass will wither, the flower will fall away. Here's a great contrast. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And that last sentence really sets us up for the next chapter, but... Now this is the word, which by the gospel was preached to you. How is that type of love and community possible? Peter bookends his answer for us. He began with, because this is true. Because you and I have been purified by the Spirit and what God has done for us. And then he adds, because we've been born again. Essentially saying the same thing. And Peter loves those words, corruptible and incorruptible. Perishable, non-perishable. You might say combustible. And not, I need to take a picture of it in my apartment. It says combustibles. So, combustibles and non-combustibles. The word of God is indestructible. And Peter quotes Isaiah to tell us the same. And he says that it lives and it abides forever. Jesus Jesus spoke the same thing, right? The, the indestructibility of the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 24, 35. I mean, history testifies of this fact. Many times throughout antiquity, right? The beginning of the church, the numerous endeavors of man's effort to destroy the word of God, to burn Bibles, to destroy the Bible. And yet here it is right before us. It has endured a time. It has endured all these attempts. In fact, you know, it, it's the best-selling book of all times and always. That, that's amazing. Like I, According to the Guinness Book of World Records, in fact, other sources, the Bible is the best-selling book every year. They just don't publish that every year, of the year, every year. I mean, how many of, how many of you own uh, two or three Bibles? How, how many of you own five Bibles or more? Right, a couple of us. I mean, if you have a Bible app, you have, you know, probably hundreds of Bibles, right? Maybe the better question is, how many of us are reading our Bibles? <laughs> uh, I hope all our hands will go up. The Bible testifies of itself. It's unlike any other book. Peter says it's alive. It's living. It abides forever. The writer of Hebrews says it's alive. It's living. This this is a supernatural book that God himself, through the Holy Spirit, inspired men to take, you know, uh, pen, ink quill, and write out the words of God through the people of God, and the Bible testifies of itself that it's God-breathed, that it's God-inspired, that it's been given to us so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has given us, right? That we can know the Lord and know his love and know his grace, know which way to go, to know Jesus, to know his love, (laughs) It's the word of God that reveals then what true love looks like. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, And this is the love of God that was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. We talked about this before, right? Not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. It's the word of God that reveals these things to us. It's the scriptures that reveal Jesus to us. It's the scriptures that point us to truth and life, victory. Peter says it's the gospel, that that imperishable, incorruptible, indestructible seed that was planted into your heart. That when it finds root and the roots grow, it causes us then first to be born again. We've been born again, he says, of the seed of the gospel that's been planted. And if, again, as I mentioned earlier, if, there's, if that seed is there, if there's a root in our heart, then there's going to be fruit from our lives. And here's the last thing, the number three, that God gives us the gift of his scriptures And we can trust it. It's a trusted source of truth and of life. This is our field guide. This is our handbook. The psalmist says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The psalmist says in 138.2 that I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. And really interesting, he says, for you have magnified your word above all your name. There, there, there's so much to say about the importance of the Word of God, and we live in a time where the attacks on the uh, veracity, the authority, the authenticity, the inerrancy of Scripture is like I I don't know if it's like ever before, but it, it it's intense. And by observation, I'm watching churches. That have uh, acquiesced and they have diminished then the authority and the authenticity of the word of God. I- I'm going to say this in love. Gang, we-, we must never do that. Never downgrade the scriptures. Never water down the gospel. That We want to affirm and reaffirm always the authority and the inerrancy and the veracity of the word of God. Love God Love others, and we live according to the Bible by the power of His Holy Spirit always. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that in this journey of life, you haven't left us without tremendous support. First, you've given us you through the person of your Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. for his working in our lives to lead us, instruct us, convict us, comfort us, empower us. Lord, if there's something in our lives, especially in our hearts that we've been harboring, sin, these weights that so easily ensnare us, Father, we confess them to you today. We want more of your spirit. Lord, we thank you for the gift of each other, I think sometimes we can take that gift for granted or sometimes we, we convince ourselves because of our own personality, well, I, I'm okay, I don't need anybody, but Lord, that's, we, we want to confess and acknowledge that's not how you designed the body to be. None of us can say we're not important and none of us can say of anybody else they're not important or needed. Your work clearly portrays that all of us are needed and God, I pray that we would then sincerely love each other. Lord, we thank you for the gift of scripture, for the word of God. Peter's going to tell us later that all that we need for life and godliness, you've provided here in your word. And Lord, as we read the word, as we study the word, as we meditate upon the word, as we, as we ruminate upon your truths, we, we also want to recognize that it in itself becomes a means to an end, and the end is to know and love Jesus. Not that we would just be filled with head knowledge, but Lord, that we would, our hearts would be filled with the knowledge of you. And so, God, may we not neglect these great gifts. May we not suffer needlessly as a result of our lack of priority for each of these things. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, church family. Good job. God bless you guys. Pray you have an amazing rest of the day.